Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Canary. The bird has landed on beautiful Bainbridge Island, conveniently located at 499 Madison Avenue. ASE Master Technician Clint Ramsey brings over 15 years of experience, award-winning diagnostic skill, and a desire to reinvent the automotive repair experience. Schedule an appointment online at bluecanary.biz or call them today at 206-451-4220. GreatNorthernElectric.com Serving our Bainbridge and Kitsap neighbors with solutions for anything electrical in your home. 206-842-3620. This segment of the Bystander Podcast is brought to you by Eagle Harbor Insurance. We don't sell insurance, we help people buy it. This has always been their motto and continues. They understand every family has different insurance needs, be it coverage or premiums. No two cases are the same, and they will always do their best to guide you into the proper coverage to fit your budget. They are here to help anytime. Give them a call at 206-842-7410 or contact them online at eagleharborinsurance.com. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. Can you hear me now? Can you hear yes, me now? Yes, I can hear you now. That sounds better. Easy fix. Great. We're, we're rocking on. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's cracking podcast, Phil? You found the Bystander Podcast. Usually I have something for your mind, body, and soul. But today we have something a little different in your body, your mind, and your heart. Please welcome Jenna McDonald. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. It's awesome to have you as well. Hey, you go by the devoted yogi as your as your mm-hmm. tagline, your business. Um, when did you start your business here on Bainbridge Island? Well, when I arrived on Bainbridge, I already had a business. And at that time, it was called Passion for Practice. And I was relocating from Phoenix, Arizona, where my family is. And I did a rebrand a few years ago that switched it over to devoted yogi. I love it. Your logo yeah. with the, the tiger. The tiger. It's fierce. Yeah. I think um, yoga needed a little bit of that. A little little bit more strength than yeah. just flexibility. A little courage, yeah. <laughs> but you grew up on the east side, right? I did. I grew up in Bellevue, um, Bellevue-Redmond border, when it was like a lot of horse ranches. Mm-hmm. It's not like I, that now. I grew up in Bothell, and it was very rural back yeah. then. Yeah. We were off the grid for a while. You had some off-the-grid experiences, yeah? I did. Yeah, Tell in East Maui. Um. 
Well, when I came back from Peru in 2005, I believe it was, and uh, had quite a bit of culture shock, I was looking for something different than, than the Northwest and city life. And I got hooked up with a gig on East Maui in a place called Kipohulu. Um, right outside of Hana. So if anybody's ever been on that beautiful back road to Hana, um, it's out there about a couple miles from Hana, and it's all off-grid. It's basically just one road in the jungle. People live on the ocean side or the mountainside, and that's it. Everybody's farming and and living, you know, from the land. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough, too, in Hawaii. From what I remember, it used to be very profitable place when um, Dole was there mm. and they had the pineapple and the bananas going but then they and the sugarcane especially sugarcane was big business in Hawaii yeah. is that still going on out there or has all that kind of moved away De- well definitely on Maui it's um even some of it has been prohibited you know just through um legislation uh, around corporations from my understanding but to be honest like I'm really not filled in so well on that, but I know that um, it's changed a lot. Like there's no more cane burning there, mm. which is unbelievable. It used to be a really big deal. Um, the air quality would plummet every time they burned cane sugar. Um, and now it's been years since I've seen that happen. Why were they burning it? I don't, um, I don't, I don't know the story. I mean, I, I can just assume it's a byproduct, right? And so they're burning the excess cane to get rid of it. Like kind of like would, corn stalks. Or yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Are you familiar with this, um, this closing the circle at the triangle, the food waste compost idea here on I'm Bay Ridge not, Island? No. Nope. Just did a podcast about that recently, and they were talking about one thing that didn't really come to my mind, but uh, the hops from all these brewers, mm-hmm. they have to put that someplace, right? So why not recycle that and return it to earth? Yeah. And I think that compost idea is pretty neat. Um, tell us a little bit about your childhood. What, when was the first time that you discovered yoga and why? And were your, was your family members practitioners? Absolutely not. Um, they, they were, I would say, your average American family in the 80s. Like I remember um, growing up uh, lower to middle class in Bellevue. And Bellevue wasn't really a lower to middle class. It was middle class to upper class community. Um, so I grew up... Uh, really aware of class difference, actually. And um, my parents, nope, they were meat eaters all the way, no yoga practices. But I have to say, my mom was um, a pretty radical feminist for the time. She didn't use that language, but now that I've kind of been through my life, I recognize what she is. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate that about her. She's also, she was also very anti-racist um, an establishment, I believe. And so... I had that growing up, and my dad was a trucker. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah, he was a trucker. And he had a CB? And he had a CB, oh, yeah. Smokey and the Bandit played at home on the weekends? Yeah, he was, I mean, he was just like, a, but just a good man. Um, and so in in what I've learned uh, in yoga and in my practice, you know, so many people are actually just trying to get to that point, like of being like a truly good Samaritan and showing up. Like he's the kind of person who always pulls over if somebody's broke down. He gets out of his car to help people. He stops in the middle of what he's doing to talk to people. You know, it's just like there was something about him that is very yogic. Um, but he didn't have the language for that. You know, that wasn't who he who he was by affiliation. It was just who he was as an individual. Um, and then in my teens, I had a real interest, though, I would say, 
in the esoteric and and just the things on the edges and the margins. Um, I was a boxer, so I was really into being in my body. Like, that was huge for me. I practiced five days a week, three hours a day, all the time. Yeah. It was my life um, before yoga. So I have always had, like, a very physical part of my life. Um, It keeps me well. It keeps me sleeping, you know, sleeping Mm -hmm. well, eating well, living well. So I'm a terrible sleeper. Do you have any Mm. um, hints breathing-wise? Because I know Andrew Well, I think his name is. Yeah. He talks about taking four really long, mm. deep breaths, breaths before you sleep and holding on to them and exhaling mm-hmm. very, very slowly. Do you have any tricks like that? Yeah. Yeah, I would say um, my whole life is a little bit of a trick like that. You, know, in, you got in life the, hacks. I got, I got life hacks. But also, you know, that's that's my business is that I'm I'm in the yoga industry, but I'm in the industry only because I'm a practitioner. So... I've been, in essence, like following my breath and using my breath for so many years that it comes more natural to me to just lay down in my bed and begin to breathe when I go to sleep because it's a habit. So in that way, I'm not really using that kind of a thing. My technique is to work my body in the daytime so that by the time I'm ready to rest, it's a physical rest that's needed. Mm. You know, And I find that that's like the number one thing that keeps me in rhythm. So I, I look at you from afar, and I think that you're the type of person that a lot of us strive to be, but we get in these obstacles in our own mind mm-hmm. of maximizing our day. Mm-hmm. Would that be an honest uh, evaluation of you? You get the most out of your day? Yeah, I get the most out of my day. And I think I also succumb to the same mentality of I'm trying to get the most out of my day, right? And fall fall prey to urgency, the idea that, you know, the fear of missing out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, my mind is right there along with most minds. Can you get that mic to get a little closer yeah, to you? Yeah, sure such thing. a soft, lovely voice. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Ah, yes, I do, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, what, kind of, what kind of people can do yoga? Can everybody do yoga? Absolutely. Um, I tell my students a story of um, when I went to visit my mother after some big health concerns that she had, and she was really struggling physically with some bursitis in her hips and really struggling to move mm-hmm. even. And I had her doing some very basic sitting meditation on a chair, some visualization. And um, it's near to my heart because the, the visualization we were doing was literally her imagining walking out to the mailbox pain-free and back. And, and I just would guide her through that image over and over. And it would just give her such a sense of relief when she could actually put her mind in that place as if she was already just walking pain-free See, to the mailbox and back. You're like good at setting an t- intent. Yeah. And, you know, I think the biggest thing is that yoga's cognitive as much as it is in the body and recognizing that when we use our imagination, the mind gets healthier. And when the mind gets healthier, we're kind of ready to do something in the body. I feel that's my experience. Yeah, that's very well said. Um, I I see lots lots more um, professional athletes doing yoga. Mm-hmm. How does that complement what they're already doing? Well, it's a way of cross training for sure. You know, because most most athletes are using particular muscles in excess, and other muscles oh, yeah. not at all. So yoga is a fantastic way to balance the body 
And one of the things I love most about it when it's kind of practiced, um, my greatest interest is Ashtanga yoga in a way that that brings... I'm sorry, what kind? Ashtanga. Ashtanga. Mm -hmm. And it means eight-limbed yoga. So it is yoga. Um, so I can just refer to that as octopus yoga? Yeah. And actually, I've seen it. You know, one of my teachers has an octopus uh, image, right? So, yeah, it, it, whatever your, helps your mind grasp it, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's got these tentacles or these limbs or these tree limbs, you know. And, and part of it is um, the mental disciplines, the breathing disciplines, the, the movement disciplines, and then further into focus, concentration, and such. But when we have a practice like that that's really whole-bodied, meaning it addresses the spirit, the mind, and the body, um, it also helps us to balance out, right? We can really notice where we're out of balance. So a lot of times, for instance, if somebody comes into my training who's an athlete or already a physical trainer, they're like, wow, this is really changing my body because I'm starting to balance out all these systems. And the effect is better sleep, more connection to what I feel when I eat, you know, the ability to pause, the ability to breathe before I react, this sort of thing. That regular fitness just doesn't necessarily train us to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because there's nobody trying to defend you or tackle you or take the ball away from you when you're doing yoga. Precisely. And this is actually like profound because if we're in a position, let's say I have my legs all bound up like a pretzel, mm -hmm. what's actually happening to the brain is the brain is saying, it must be safe, right? Because otherwise, the body would never be in this position. Yeah, you wouldn't put yourself in a compromised position You would like not that. put yourself in a compromised, vulnerable position if it wasn't a safe place. Nice. Yeah. It's pretty Im immaculate what's happening in the endocrine system as a result, or the ho hormones of the body, right? The stress responses of the body when we do yoga. We'll talk about some of the benefits mm. to yoga because it really is your mind your body your heart your soul mm -hmm. um but what about those interior systems and and helping your organs and stuff like that that's a killer question um and i think so much of it is asking how do we ask the right questions you know if i'm coming to a yoga practice what do i really what's the result that i'm really looking for Am I just looking to stretch my muscles or what I like to ask for overall health in my organ body, you know, and, and my nervous system? And so the yoga that I'm teaching now really does have a lot of elements of resetting the nervous system. So there, there's things we can do in the body that actually help find tiny tremors from the inner core of the body, the psoas particularly, which is a really... What is the inner tremor? Yeah, so... The core of the body, the inner core, first I just want to speak to the core briefly. Yes, please. You know, all of this, I, I just appreciate that I'm never going to touch on this in, in the entirety of these systems today. But let's say the psoas, for example, is part of your inner core. They're the muscles that help hold your vital organs in place and help you move through the world. The psoas itself connects the lower half of the body to the upper half of the body. And it connects behind the lower ribs at, at the adrenals and kidneys. So it's also mirroring some of the parts of our organ system that handle stress. And then it connects to your inner thighs. So it's kind of, it's it's like a basket for your center of gravity, this, this incredible muscle that's uh, symmetrical and is on both sides of your body. And the psoas is such that when we are in a fear response, 
For example, somebody yells at you at home, okay? And what do you do when that happens? Your shoulders cave in. You generally kind of hunch over a little bit. You, you do the opposite of what we're doing in yoga, which is generally opening. Not always, but generally. Um, you, you crunch in and you protect the vital organs, right? And also when we do that, we hold our breath. Mm-hmm. And so we've been doing that since we were, you know, born, basically, to any stimulus that's a negative stimulus. Well, that's the or fetal scary. pose, right? Yeah, that's the fetal always, pose. Always oh, yeah. revert back to. Yes. So, and, and we often look very much like we're in fetal pose when we're on our computers and when we're driving. <laughs> you know, it's similar to that shape. So... The body is registering. I know. It makes you want to open your chest. Yeah, <laughs> let me sit up and get my posture yeah, here. for sure. Sloppy boy. Oh, so, so we're accustomed to being in that um, micro positioning that is basically telling the brain, you know, it's, it's a little bit dangerous, right? It's telling the brain things are a little bit dangerous. And then when we start to do the practice, we can use certain muscular engagements to help trigger the psoas in a way that it almost overworks and it shakes. And by doing that, you can release the central nervous system down the spinal column in the brain. And you can actually release tension that's been stored in your nervous system, that's been stored in your diaphragm, that's been making it hard to breathe and maybe sleep, right? Right or these sorts of things, or digest. So wow. it's I a, have a little bit of all that. Oh, it's just incredible. Um, the, the cascade effect of what yoga can do for someone if it's practiced correctly, I would say. And I'm not scared to use that word because I think there is a way that we can practice yoga at a surface level just like we can do anything at a surface level. Now, let's say you're embarrassed and mm-hmm. you, know, you go to yoga and mm-hmm. you get twisted up and... You're farting all the time yeah. in front of people. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> or uh, totally person in front of you looks at you like, quit staring at my butt. You know, yep. like, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. And it just becomes a, a kind of unpleasant thing. And then you go <laughs> home and you <laughs> want to watch some video or <laughs> listen to some app or just look at a, a picture of a pose. I find that extremely difficult because I don't know if I'm in the right position. Yeah. And... Is there a very common chance that people can hurt themselves if they don't know what they're doing? Absolutely. One hundred percent you hit the nail on the head. So one of the things that I've done with my business that was really challenging to do for my mind was I I watched what was happening to new bodies coming into yoga studios, watching that it's really hard to keep up, right? Yeah. With all the new stimulus all the new language all the new body parts all the new movements plus you're farting or whatever's happening for you when you first come to yoga and your body needs recuperation you know there's so much happening for that new body um, and things are moving so quickly that what i was seeing was the nervous system can't catch up Mm -hmm. Um, there's a lot of mental chatter going on and people needed more support and so what i did is i backed off which basically meant I risked losing a lot of money by dropping um, weekly classes. And I moved to a system where people sign up long-term for classes. So one, it requires devotion. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Basically, I'm saying, I would love for you to come to yoga, but do you have a wish to change? And if you have a wish to change, I'm happy to work with you. 
Because you're not going to get it after eight sessions not, or something. And you're not definitely not going to get it the first time. Um, consistency is key. And I wanted a system, and I taught a few rounds of this class called Badass Basics. And that was for newer, newer people. Mm-hmm. And or I say, come do privates first and then go into group class. So let, let's give you a funnel, right? It's like when you go in to train at a martial arts studio, you don't just jump in with everyone. You learn some basics first. Mm-hmm. You get put with people that are at your level. You get one-on-one attention. Like this is very common in a lot of other um, arts, movement arts, but not in the yoga industry. And so... What I found was that by working this way, I could work better one-on-one with people, you know. So Mm -hmm. in essence, what I'm saying is think about your entry. Set yourself up well. Yeah, it does take like anything. When you plan plan better, you get a better result. So think, okay, well, what do I want to accomplish by doing yoga? If I'm not one interested in pretzel postures, then what do I want? I want to sleep better, Mm -hmm. you know. I want more flexibility in my hamstrings. I want whatever instructor it is to slow their roll. Because mm-hmm. there's so many times an instructor will come in and go, I'm going to go through 10 poses. Everybody's going to hold them for 45 seconds. And that's the session. I've timed it perfectly, right? Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes it takes a minute to get your breathing right and to open 100%. up. 100%. Yeah. Um, it seems like a lot of instructors in these group classes walk around. And you're, you're laying on mm-hmm. the floor. And you do feel very vulnerable and not in a safe space. Yeah. yeah. And then yep. it's never a, hey, I'm going to correct this position. It's mm-hmm. uh, let's go into this the corpse pose, this pose, that pose. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, can I hold this for a second? Can I breathe for a moment? Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like it surfaces anxiety. It, it does. And that, without, yeah, without recently that's it. why I quit yep. going yep. because I could not find an instructor mm-hmm. that just had like a 10 second buffer yes. from what whatever they were yes. doing. I'm always looking for teachers. I just went to a nice class in Maui for the first time in a long time. I I go to a lot of bad classes, but I I go in the spirit of learning. Um, But I went to a good class, and I really noticed that there there was equal amounts of of quiet to to verbalization, right, on the teacher's end. It was like she gave us enough space Mm -hmm. to catch up with everything that was happening. And what a difference that makes for integrating the practice. Yeah, because we're yeah. not all on the same level, you, no. no matter how long we've done it. And I think what I see and what I saw in myself was that when I rush things and I speak too quick or I add on too much, it's actually out of my own fear mm-hmm. and my own unrest that I do that. And then you transpose it to other yeah, people. Yeah, 100%. You put it on other <laughs> I'm people. I'm like, you're just, you're right on. <laughs> um. Tell me about the spinal injury you had that when you were young that mm-hmm. kind of led you down this path. Sure. What happened? You fall off a truck? <laughs> Just about. What else can you do in Maui, right? So, um, yeah, I was about 23, and I was up in the mountains climbing around with a young jungle girl. Jungle girl. Jungle girl. She was a homeschooled girl, and she was just part of the community I lived in. Okay. Never wore shoes, never wore a shirt. I mean, like, Jungle Book style, fantastic climber. And um, she had one fear, and it was of cows. And um, I thought, how unusual. But we were climbing up this mountain, and a herd of cows came by, and she got really freaked out. She said, let's go up into this tree. And I said, fine. So we climb up into the tree, and the cows graze. We're up there for quite a while. It turns into a little tree meditation. 
And um, then Kavai says, okay, I'm ready to go down. And I stepped on the next branch and it broke because there's so many, I mean, so much rot out there. And I, coming from the Northwest, hadn't really calculated that Mm. in my mind as a, a possibility. But all I remember is falling, you know, the act of falling. And just like any accident, it happens almost in slow motion. Um, It's like time lapse. And um, I fell about 12 feet and I landed sitting like in a cross-legged position on my bum. And um, what happened as a result of that is when you land on your seat like that, your back naturally goes into a flexion or a curl forward. And so I fractured or double fractured two vertebrae in my back. Mm. Um, I spent split what's called the pubic symphysis at the front of the pelvis, which only generally happens at birth. Um, and so that was a shock for my body. And yeah, my kidneys were were really wrecked through that process. So all to say, um, it was a big life event. And I'll say. Yeah. And it was also like a very, it was like a miracle because we were in the jungle and I remember landing and like I couldn't hear anything for a a little bit and I fell over on my side. And then I remember just sounds coming back like one by one. So talk about like the slowness or what it is to be lucid in something and then to kind of feel the world like build itself back and then realize like, oh, I don't know if I can move my leg can I move my leg? Like there wasn't an automatic motor recognition. And that was a huge moment because I wondered like, did I paralyze something? And it's so incredible what can happen when thoughts like that go through your mind. Like everything comes into perspective immediately. Like everything that I wasn't grateful for, right? Mm -hmm. All the things that- You took for granted. Everything I took for granted came so quick. And something really- you know, I shared with you a little bit. Um, an awakening also came with that of what if it wasn't about the body? What if I couldn't use my legs? And then who would I be? You know, so there was something that happened to my identity in that moment that I can't really explain other than um, I lost my identification for just long enough to recognize. Um, That's a crazy epiphany. It is. I fell out of a tree. I'm wrecked. (laughs) I'm going to have to find my way from this. Find my way. Yeah. And medically, what happened? Were you like put in like a body cast or something? No. um, What happened at the moment was, and I'll just, I'll try and keep it brief, but it's a good story. Um, We got all day. Cool. So Kavai, um, this jungle girl, she said, where does it hurt? And I said, in my back. And she said, that's not good. And I said, <laughs> I said, no, Kavai, it's not good. And she said, she dropped her backpack. And she said, I'll be back. And she ran. And she came back and she brought with her her mother, who was a midwife, who's a midwife by trade, and um, a man who I believe his name was Chris, and he was like um, a local caretaker, but he was ex-military, and he had this cream that you put on severe injuries, and he had an ATV. 
So he basically picked me up in the jungle, put all this stuff on me that numbed me, took me in the ATV from that place in the jungle on this bumpy ride um, all the way back to my yurt on another property and dropped me off like at my front door. Like the fact that that was even possible is a miracle. Um, that he could get to me, that he came to me in, in time. And, um, and then, of course, the other miracles started happening. Like on that property, the woman who was staying for a month in the adjoining yurt was a nurse by trade. So she was basically helping me use the bathroom for the next 12 days. And I was, I was like laid out. Um, my friends at the time flew out a shaman from the big island, Randy. I'll never forget this man in my life. Um, you know, so everything just kind of, it unfolded. And actually during that time, I ended up meeting Rob and Rachel, who, who were my connection in Bali, um, which changed my life as well, the course of my life during that time. So it's, it was as if, you know, life places you, sometimes life places you in these un, unforeseen circumstances that change the direction of your whole life. And they really brought me to yoga. So then it was like, okay, from here, um, at the time, I chose not to go in to seek medical care. Um, why? Why? Um, I just, I didn't feel like I needed it. I just slowly, slowly came back. Um, and I think it had to do with the state I was in. Um, and that is being 23, living in a yurt in Hawaii or what? Um, well, partially, but partially like that experience, because it was such a spiritual experience, it was like I knew I was okay. Mm. I just knew I was okay. And and I was peeing like a little bit yellow, you know, or orange, like my kidneys were hurt. And this was a real, excuse me, <clears throat> this was a real thing. Um, I went to a chiropractor a few weeks later. Um, they told me to go see a doctor. I didn't. And then I came back to the States, started doing a lot of yoga. And yeah, it could have been neglectful, you know, from one perspective, it's neglectful. Um, but here I am today. So I feel like I made the right choice. Um, about five months later, I had bought a ticket to Bali. Like I said, um, there was that connection. I had bought a ticket for Bali. I was leaving the next week. I went to a dance class, threw out my back, and like couldn't eat. And then I was like, oh, this is not good. What dance were you doing when you threw it out was, your back? It was a West African dance class. And, um, and like I- Like doing the Dougie or something? Yeah, just like throwing my body all around. It was pretty hardcore. And, uh, and okay. great fun. Where people are just jumping up and down, chanting a bit, and going around well, in a circle- no, I mean, it was like, you know, really West African dance has just a lot of like low to the ground movements and movements where you twist your body left and right. Mm. So I really think it was just the form of dance that really got into my spine, which would normally be a great thing. And for me, it just it aggravated something that wasn't healed yet. Um, and then when I went in uh, to the doctor, the woman said, oh, you wouldn't just be walking in here if you had a spinal fracture, you know, you're. We'll we'll take the we'll take these X-rays for you, but and then I just remember getting called in, and they were so concerned. Yeah. They were like, "You have a dual compression fracture. What are you doing? We would recommend surgery." And I was like, "No, <laughs> yeah, you will not go in." Um, and then it was like from then on, I just started researching everything I could about the body because I felt like 
Did you have a mentor or did you just start finding and picking up people along the way and books and readings mm. and stuff like that? Um, to be honest with you, I, I did a lot of praying and meditation. And I'm not a religious person, but I would say I'm a spiritual person. And at that time, and when you find out things like this or when things really get haywire in life, you'll be, you know, things take you to your knees. So I feel like I was in that kind of a place in my life period where I was like, all right, listen, I don't know why this happened. I'm looking for the answers. Throw me a bone. Throw me a sign. And, um, and I did find a teacher in Bali who was my spiritual teacher. And, um, and I really studied a lot of asana on my own for a long time before I trained. Let's talk about your practice a little bit more, mm-hmm. the de- devoted yogi. You can, well, you just came back from Hawaii t- today. Mm-hmm. Thank you for coming in and taking the time. I know you're probably a bit tired. Um, what What do you do over there? You, you do retreats and teachings in Hawaii? Well, this time around, I was going to meet up with the retreat center that I'm taking a group to in April. And I just, I honestly, um, with everything that's going on, I wanted to see how travel felt. I wanted to see how it felt on the islands before I took a group there right now. Um, And I also wanted to thank and ask the land for permission to bring this group out there because I feel um, not only, like, I just feel so blessed by Maui and by those islands. And I take it really seriously bringing groups of um, people and especially predominantly white people anywhere on the planet. Um, And so it just... Yeah, I went out there to make offerings and and to ask, and and the result was just like a lot of feedback from from nature, the land, and and um, yeah, that's why I went. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, you uh, practice meditation and mindfulness as well. What does mindfulness look like to you? Mm. Well, to be honest with you, um, I don't like that word, Ed, and. Um, I don't like it because I think it, it's a very um, PC word. I feel like um, the actual act of meditation is deeply courageous and terrifying. And you got to sit still. <laughs> you got to sit still. You become aware of of the nature of your mind, which is a very sp- spiraling thing. Um, you become aware of the things you've done that have hurt people. You become aware of your blind spots. It's painful to see what you didn't see before and the places where you could have done better. So um, I think mindfulness makes it sound like we can stay above the water and just be mindful, you know, like just just be mindful and almost like Puritan to me. I have a lot of background in decolonization and the word mindful is is a very easy word to plug into school curriculum and to plug into the the mass population without getting any, any negative feedback. But I think, um, yeah, the, the actual act of meditation, if, if we want people to transform or to change, um, requires more, more depth than that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think a lot of it has to do with the unconscious and, and dreaming and our ideas about the unconscious in the West. In the East, and even in Polynesian culture or Balinese culture, um, the trickster is part of the mythology, you know, the part of us that plays the fool, that is the fool. Um, 
the part of us that still dreams and has imaginations, fantasies, all of that um, is honored as a, a valid, you know, epistemology, a, val- a valid way of knowing the world. And here that is... Epistemology? Yeah, epistemology means like a way of knowing or a way of knowing the world. And in the West, we're very ta- we're taught to be very um, causal, right? Like this causes this. We're logical. Cause and effect, yeah. We're analytical. Um, we're mechanistic, even in the way that we approach the body to this day. I have people in my courses who are medical students who are saying, "This we never learned any of this, but we're treating bodies. You know, mm-hmm. we're treating humans and bodies with knowledge from um, cadavers, basically, from non-living systems." So it's a huge overhaul. You know, this, I realize that the stuff I'm talking about is not like a quick fix. It's, um, yeah, it's asking people to really um, honor that there's a layer of the unconscious that unless we allow it to be a part of us, we will always be imagining that we are mindful and hurting people. You know? I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Have a little different take in mindfulness Mm, mm -hmm. in being. Mm -hmm. My idea of practicing mindfulness is noticing the bird that lands, Mm -hmm. that that sings, the wind that blows and which way it comes from, the appreciation Mm -hmm. of the trees that I walk past, Mm -hmm. um, the ocean that's all around us here on beautiful Bainbridge Island, and uh, just all that it brings and the things that we we reap from the ocean, Mm -hmm. um, the seaweed, the the fish and how the life cycle kind of just goes around. So I definitely don't use it as a PC or a, mm-hmm. or a Puritan type thought process. It's just like, hey, take a minute to stop and smell the roses kind of mm-hmm. theme. Mm-hmm. I look at meditation as something where I have to let go mm-hmm. of everything I see, mm-hmm. be still, and then that activates the brain. And then all that stuff mm-hmm. that you're talking about mm-hmm. can come in. And that's... That's something that I feel mm. is very difficult at times is to just shut down the brain. And it's a powerful connection you just made also that, you know, and maybe even in order to be mindful in the way that you've described, um, there's got to be some level of quieting the mind, you mm-hmm. know, or having some sort of, this is really it for me, is having some sort of true contemplative practice that yields presence, the ability to be present to the bird, song, you know? Well, with you right now, it's important to be present, to Mm -hmm. take the time to Mm -hmm. honestly listen to you and have Mm -hmm. questions Mm -hmm. when you say vocabulary that's way above my head. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And for me to, right, to hear your version of mindfulness um, and, and include it into my understanding of mindfulness right Mm -hmm. it's like really i think maybe we're both just trying to be as whole as possible um and taking being able to be present allows us hopefully to hear or see in all these different ways at once to add and subtract too yeah there's qualities when i am introduced to a person like you that I, i say that's a very attractive quality i want to instill that in what I do and mm-hmm. how I go around my day, or can I bring this into my family and make our family more whole? Mm-hmm. It's a it's a journey. It's a process. It's a yeah. work in progress all the time. Yes, um, but it's also a, a big intent. 
Mm-hmm. I found out yeah. I was a horrible yeah. communicator, and I was like, I better start talking to people. And that was my intent, to have a podcast and yeah. find interesting people that Amazing. I don't know and talk to them. And, you know, I, I followed you online, and I walked by your studio quite a bit, and I was just like, who is this? What is this? Mm-hmm. And then it just continued. And I kind of <laughs> fanboyed out and reached yeah. out to you, and now you're here, and I appreciate it. Um. In your practice, you teach people to teach. Yes. Right? Um, in fact, a few people, I believe, we have mm-hmm. mutual friends that have taken your course and are teaching now that had no idea knew you. Oh, funny. Uh, yeah. Like two or three at least. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, what is going on with your practice right now? You do privates. You have some group training. You train instructors. You have these retreats. Yeah. Um, how do you be a mom? <laughs> or do your kids this do is, yoga? This is the question that's like pulsing in the back of my mind all day, every day. Yeah. Yeah. How do I be a mother and and have a calling at the same time? And is it enough to have a calling and have children? Is that my motherhood? You know? Because I think, I mean, this could be a whole nother podcast. In fact, I'd love to come back for a podcast yeah, you're, on mothering. You're totally welcome back on Mother's Day. <laughs> um, but let's talk about it now. Yeah. Um, well, there's just so many um, double standards for mothers these days. And, and you Such know. As? Well, we are expected to be able to work and mother. And especially with young children, I think there's an underestimated um, or unseen quality where children are very deeply energetically attached to the mother for many years. And I remember when my son just recently turned eight, it was like this plug had been like unplugged from me energetically. And he had become his own person. And I felt it in my body. So there is this thing, it's like there's a life source that I am giving out invisibly to my children. You're making them independent. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah, and and you want to like give them all the security and attachment, proper attachment they need to walk into the world and unplug, Mm -hmm. right? So that unplugging is such a beautiful moment um, all the time that it happens, like all the small moments and the bigger moments. Until your young son starts to be, have these testosterone surges, oh and yeah, puberty I mean, and all that, and I say we're going, he says going things that you don't want him to yeah. say, but yeah. he can't help himself because yeah. his body is telling him telling yeah. him something completely different. I think my wife and I are very conscious that mm-hmm. uh, our twelve year old is going through things, yeah, you know, physically yep. and mentally, yes. and trying to establish independence and still can't tie his shoes. <laughs> this brings me this brings me to a really can I yes. tell a micro story? Um the thymus, which is a gland that mm-hmm. lives behind the sternum in the body. It's like a globular kind of um uh galactic looking formation and of cells. And the thymus is our immunoregulator. And the thymus does this incredible thing when we go through puberty, right? We all kind of know that kids have a great immune system. Mm-hmm. That's why they're not at risk right now for some of these things, because their thymus is so large that mm. their thymus is in proportion to their body 
so much bigger than it, quote, should be, that it, it knows how to fight off things that don't belong. And yet, when we go through puberty, what happens to that thymus is what's called involution, right? It's, it doesn't expand. All of a sudden, it basically contracts into itself and becomes much smaller. And what happens at the same time is all of our vital energy goes to building the reproductive system. So all of a sudden, our immunity drops, mm. And our reproductive system gets this major hit of energy. So where we're moving, like our, ba- our, um, our boundaries begin to change, right? Because immunity is all about like what comes in and what stays out. And as we go through puberty, then we start feeling differently about what should come in and what should go out. And all of a sudden, my reproductive system is, you know, as if energetically just pulsing where my thymus used to be. And so this really cool process of involution happens. And then, of course, over, over a lifetime, that thymus continues to decrease in size right, or get smaller. So our immunity Body's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. Now you, you have some core values. And uh, I was reading that mm. um, nonviolence is a core value. I recently have – well, not so recently, but Erin um, Mary Hugh was on the podcast here. She teaches – Nonviolent uh, communication. I had just gotten done taking eight week course nonviolent communication and trying to discover more em- empathy mm-hmm. for others and be present and understand my emotions and then try to pick what words mm. I re- could replace. You know, like always, never, should. Those are words I tried to replace. Hate is something I've replaced with strongly dislike and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell me what your your core values are? Um, yeah, I will do my best. Um, well, let's start I, with because, nonviolent. Because I feel like they're constantly emerging. Yeah, you're you ever-changing. Yeah. Um, but in terms of nonviolence, or in Sanskrit, ahimsa. Um, Say that one more time. It's ahimsa. 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 Um, and, and it means non-harming. But the way that it's taken um, from a Vedic perspective is that the harm always originates in the mind, that that is the origin of, of all harm on this planet, is it or- originates in our thinking. Um, and so a couple of things that I love to do to like match that core value is I do the, what's called the work with Byron Katie. If you haven't seen her work, it's amazing. And basically what she does is she helps you unpack one thought at a time, right? So if I have a thought, if I'm angry, then I say, like, well, what's the thought that's making me angry? And I can say, Mm. he is doing this, right? Or she is doing this, therefore I'm angry. Um, But then I look look at that statement and I can start to unpack it. Like, can I absolutely know that that's true, right? This sort of thing. And so I start to look at my own thoughts and I go, is this thought creating disharmony for me? Is it creating disharmony for them? Yes. Is it worth dropping? This is the end end game is like, is it worth dropping? And 99.99% of the time, it's worth dropping. Mm-hmm. You know? So Let me ask you a semi-difficult yeah. question. Mm-hmm. With the thought process of being a yogi and a nonviolent, non-harmful mm-hmm. lifestyle, does that automatically bring in veganism? to the practice? Um, well, I want to like honor the tradition and say that 
you know, from a Vedic or Hindu perspective, yes, vegetarianism is is like a baseline. Um, and that was just part of the teaching that came through to me. But I was actually a vegetarian long before I came to yoga. Um, I It's kind of a funny story, another small funny story. I was in Chinatown with my Girl Scouts troop when I was about seven years old. And it was the first time probably in my life that I had gone into the international district with mm-hmm. a group of people and experienced or gone through the experience of really eating in that setting and walking the streets and immersing. Um, and we saw a pig roasting in mm-hmm. a window. And I... And you often see rabbits brain, and, oh, yeah. and birds yeah, that yeah, are yeah, skin yeah. hanging from the window. Yeah. And something flipped in my brain. And I was like, this is what we've been eating. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like nobody told me. I didn't grow up on a farm where we killed animals. We just ate out of packages because we were lower middle class. And it was, you know, we ate so much packaged meat. Um, and I was so angry. And I went home and I was like, you guys didn't tell me. How could you not really tell me? <laughs> I feel misled. I don't trust you. I mean, I like it was pretty bad. Um, and they were like, okay, it's okay. You can be vegetarian. It'll change in like two weeks. Don't worry about it. You know, that's kind of what they were telling each other. Like, just mm-hmm. hang in there. We'll make her spaghetti for, you know, without meat. And she'll get over it. Well, That's another one of my struggles. You know, I, I started out vegetarian. I was like, no, nah, I really miss crab and salmon growing up here those were two mm-hmm. big things so i was like i want to be a pescatarian then certain documentaries came out and i was like i want to try to be vegan mm-hmm. and then i was like maybe meatless monday and <laughs> yeah two out of three meals are meatless and i can contribute that way and then I was just like, screw it. I'm a flexitarian. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I couldn't impose such a strict restraint mm-hmm. on me and my family, but I definitely still veer towards as much vegan food as possible, you know, and mm-hmm. a little bit pescatarian. I mean, I'm pretty addicted to sushi, <laughs> but I mean, it's, yeah. it's much different than. You know, growing up on a farm and raising goats and hearing them bah, you know, yeah. f- fish doesn't make a noise. Mm. They don't move. Um, you care less in that situation a little bit. Yeah, the relationship is different Yeah, in the mind also, right, to the four-legged creatures than it is to right. the ones that swim or, or the plants that grow. It's just like in yeah. India, the cow is, is considered a spiritual figure and it, it's not to be killed. And, right. And here we overproduce milk farms and the beef industry, and we raise it just to slaughter. Yeah. You know, and yeah. it's it's pretty horrific if you really yeah, let your mind get into it. If you do the research right on just about anything, and that's um, I think so much that that is what that is what being a yogi really is to me is like looking for the truth. You know, so it's and not then, balance; it's absolute truth. For me, it's tr- it's about truth. You know, it's kind of like, I want to know the truth. And with the truth, then I can make the best decisions well, knowledge, I can make. Knowledge is power. Yeah. And then when you have the power yeah. to make the right decision, yeah. it becomes simpler. It does. And, um, you know, I just think to speak one thing to the the veganism piece or the dietary piece, you know, I, I know a lot of people struggle with that. Um, and I think my experience has been 
if you do the asana, if you do the physical practice of yoga consistently, your body will, will reject a lot of these foods because meat actually takes a long time to digest in the, in the gut. It, it has a tendency when you put it with other foods to ferment foods in the gut because it has such a different time. Does that make sense? So mm -hmm. if I put it in there with fruit, <laughs> the fruit will digest quickly and all those en enzymes will take care of the fruit. But what will be left over is the meat product and that will ferment in my gut and cause trouble down the line. Um, and when, when you're doing the asana consistently or the postures consistently and you're twisting, right? You asked about your organ body and you're twi I'm moving away from the microphone as I twist. Um, because it sounds so good to do that. So when you're compressing in on the body in all these ways and you're detoxifying the organs, um, I want to add that we actually detoxify 80% of our toxins through the breath, not through any other means. Um, not sweating, no. not bowel movements, not urine. So it's through bre breathing. Breath is 80% and everything else combined is that last 20%. Of our detoxification. Detoxification. So to detoxify. So quit ourselves. sucking on a lemon and breathe. Is breathe. That what you're saying? <laughs> I'm saying, like, yes. And you know, it's so funny because if you look at all the ancient texts from all over the planet, like the thing that they all say is like breath is life and, and breath is teacher, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, without um, it, you're not alive, that's for sure. Amen. Jesus. <laughs> Tell me, um yeah. what meditation looks like for you in your daily routine? Mm -hmm. um, it does vary uh, day to day. My life is very, I would say, complex. Um, so to keep it short and sweet, my short and sweet version is seven minutes a day. That is my goal. Seven minutes a day, closed eyes, sit down, cross leg meditation. That's the only thing. What if you can't cross your legs because your left knee is dodgy? Oh, that's fine. You just sit in a chair. <laughs> You just, yeah, you can sit in a chair, You sit right? in a chair. Be yeah. comfortable. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So for me, it's cross-legged. It's just the position I take most comfortably. So you take a seated position. Crisscross applesauce. Yeah. That's what you say. Yeah. We don't say Kids it Indian know. style anymore, right? Yeah, yeah, I guess. There's all these things, right? Um, so seven minutes a day. And I recently went back to see my teacher, um, Swami Tattva Vidananda, speak in Phoenix this year. For the first time in 10 years, I got to see him. And he had changed his vernacular around this. He used to say 30 minutes a day meditation. And now he's saying he's adapting with time, right? The times. Mm -hmm. He's saying that we live in such a complex, hyper-stimulated world. If you set yourself up to fail... It's not worth anything. So five to seven minutes a day of meditation. Yeah, make that your point. Don't work harder. Work smarter. Work and, smarter. You know, yeah. more is not necessarily better. A hundred percent. Yeah. <coughs> Hashtag Costco. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that. I actually appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, I do. I am yeah. a Costco carrying card player, uh, and um, during this Armageddon, you know, toilet paper is the best buy there. At, Costco. So I'll get a couple things, but it's, it's not so much the place that I want to continue to, to contribute to. And that kind of takes us full circle to your question about values. You know, this is where the rubber meets the road is like, I have these values. And then I think we all know what it's like to be there shopping 
at a place where we're like, well, this doesn't really align with my values. How do I integrate this? You know, mm-hmm. and and we're always making choices. Um, and I think sometimes I've been finding myself lately choosing not to. Like we've been shopping in Seattle, and that's a privilege to be able to take a ferry over to Seattle every two weeks and do a big shop. But what it's doing for me... Do you go to the market or where? I go to Central Co-op or a PCC, Mm -hmm. something community-owned. And I also get a big discount by being a, you know, card member. There's like a lot of things I love about cooperatives. Um, But I just wasn't feeling right about our food source. And it takes some organization. Um, There, that's my 2020. You know, you can... So let's say you become vegetarian or mm. or vegan. Now you're like, is this organic? Is it pesticide free? Mm. Well, I would take it even a step further. And I'm, this is my goal for 2020 is sourcing. Sourcing. How far did that piece of fruit yes. come from? Yes. Well, I can understand jackfruit isn't grown around here on the island wild. Yeah. So it had to come from somewhere. <laughs> right. But exactly. um, I don't need to get my vegetables from China. Yep. There's just no reason for it. Yeah. And it's a huge carbon footprint. So, yeah. Today I pay for my cooperative pea patch, and I'm looking forward to this snow stopping. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. The catch of living in this climate. It's crazy right now. Crazy cold, crazy hot. Depends on what day. Hmm. Um, Tell people where your studio is located. I'm right in the heart of Winslow, so I'm on Erickson Avenue in a building called the Seaboard Building, and uh, we chose it there because it's got good parking, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, so on nights and weekends, all of my students can easily park in that space, and we're in a little treehouse second floor studio with a bunch of windows, another reason we chose it, Um, exposure to nature, and we've been there for almost five years now. Wow. Yeah. This is the first time I met you. It's crazy. Yeah. I know we have a lot of mutual friends. One mm-hmm. who um, I'm a huge fan of this guy, and uh, the last meditation I did was a sound bath with Abe. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I know Abe. Have you ever worked with him? I haven't done any um, classes w- combining my work with his. It's yeah. a beautiful fit. Uh huh. Yeah. Just make sure the floor. So one thing that I didn't like was we're on the floor for 30 minutes. Yeah. Meditating during the sound bath. <coughs> Excuse, excuse me. Um, but that's hard to stay in one position for 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah. And then you got a yoga mat that's like a quarter inch thick. You know? Yeah, yeah. It was nice that there was wool blankets on us and mm-hmm. had the headrest. But uh, yeah. anyway, he knows things that. Things find out. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that was a very spiritual mm. uh, moment. And we all went. My mom, cool. My wife and my son. And... Uh, I guess there's some gong yoga going on now on the island. I think that's kind of to date with everything, but kind of tough. Yeah. Well, you got to know your competition. Yeah. yeah, sometimes, sometimes though, I think just lead this, and yeah, keep just, everybody else in the back. It's like yeah, I check in sometimes, but really, um, I think we all struggle for focus these days, and it mm. it serves my clients more for me to go deep and stay focused. Than to spread thin, and or do to, too many things, or yeah, or to just like to be trying to respond to the market. Um, mm-hmm. has do actu- you right? Yeah, really. You know, 
and just um I get it. Hold, I get sa- hold your sacred ground. Like that's the those are the words that I've been thinking about a lot. Like especially hold your sacred ground with what's happening right now. It's like no, our doors are open. Mm-hmm. This, I'm holding this ground um, until I I know from the inside I need to do something differently. Until then, like this is the where the show we're... must go on. Unfortunately, they're closing my studio down for six weeks here. So you may be the this last things podcast make it... for a while. Interesting, right? That's when things get interesting is when there's well, yeah, a mandate my, from the outside in some way. And my main business, um, that's really taken a, a hit because yeah. everybody's working from home. The yeah. kids are off for six weeks now. and uh, surprise. I feel you on that one. Nobody's traveling, so yeah. services have you know, yeah. depleted. People don't need you. And furthermore, people are in situations like myself that are marginalized by this Mm-hmm. Um, virus, they don't have money to spend on it as well. Correct. You know, we have to, we all have to scale back, but that's part of being the community and say, hey, we all do this collectively yeah. and we'll get through it. Yes, we will. Awesome. Um, but only with more yoga people. <laughs> well, and that's, that's precisely it, right? It's like, this would not be the time to stop doing the things that help us the most and and that will be the challenge right to take a stand well the mindset the too people yeah. are getting panic attacks mm. super hyped out mm-hmm. constantly getting notifications of the breaking news another press conference every hour another death and you can really dwell on that stuff and it can start to yeah magnet you know magnify as the day goes on and then you're thinking about all the things that can go wrong, and then there's somebody that's kind of selling you fear all the time, as oh, opposed sure. to solutions, right? Yes. yes. Anyway, strange <laughs> times. Uh, what else did I want to say before we cut out of here? Um, you're a doula. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. Um, I would say, like, I did that. I got certified to be a doula because I was having my second baby and I wanted to be as coherent with the actual process of birth as as I could. Because in just like in yoga, I find the more you know about the body, the less fear there is. Mm-hmm. And so the more I understand what's happening in my body, like the fact that the baby spirals to exit the mother – This is the way it works. Transition means a spiraling action of the child in the body. And and you can feel that, actually. If you're aware that it's happening, you can feel that. So I could could propriocept, which means I could feel, feel it as it was happening in my body, that turning of the child. And that told me where I was in my birth process. Nobody had to check my cervix in either one of my births, like... It's not necessary. Just like, you know, we're talking about this virus. Like, what people tell you is necessary is not always necessary. And man, we're going to have to learn to think for ourselves, right? To make it yeah, through for sure through a globalized world. <laughs> and that, yeah, you know, it, maybe in hindsight, later on, mm. it will help connect the world better. Yes, you know, and globalize yes. us in in a higher meaning. Um, did you get a spinal tap when you had your kids? Or oh, no. You just... They were both home births. Home births. Yeah. Yeah. Bathtub? Um, neither one of them was born in the tub that I so carefully arranged. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Best well well laid plans, right? Yeah. No, but we took a nice bath afterwards. That was a good part. <laughs> wow. Exciting stuff. Mm-hmm. The closest I ever got was getting a wisdom tooth pulled with no Novocaine. Oof. I was like, that uh, was the other worst thing that's ever happened to me, though. My those it hurt. Yeah, those things hurt. Yeah, I had to. F- uh. I felt like if a woman can go through childbirth, I should be able to get my tooth pulled. And uh, my dentist said, "No way." And I was like, "Hey, it's my choice, right?" And he's, very different. He said, "Yes, it's your choice, but you're an idiot." Right. <laughs> <laughs> and birth is the the thing about birth is you have all these hormones that actually protect the mind from feeling pain. In the way that we think you feel pain. I don't think my wife would agree with you. (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. But, um, you know, birth is actually the closest thing to death that there is. All your organs shut down and transfer blood to your uterus. And I think if we felt, if we didn't have the hormone elixirs, because I know what happens hormonally. Mm -hmm. And you get massive amounts of oxytocin, like unfortunately imaginable amounts of oxytocin flushing through the body pre-birth if you don't use drugs. This can also be the challenging piece. Um, so there are a lot of things going on on the body that actually help. It doesn't, I mean, I didn't have a pain-free birth, but there's, there's, there was so much going on um, that I think we would feel even more had we not had these, you know, very intelligent physiological things occurring. Wow. Yeah. Um, I follow you on social media and stuff. And is that tough for you being so one with your body and earth that getting on a, yes, the device is, the device is like, um, it's a nemesis, but it's a teacher. And, um, and it, yeah, I don't know what to say. It's a teacher. I'm still learning from it and through it. And well, your website's very good and your daily writings are very inspiring. And, uh, I can tell you're going to be a very, very good writer. You're in graduate Mm -hmm. school for writing right now. I am in graduate school. Um, and it's interesting. I'm, I'm in graduate school for transformative leadership. And tell um, me what that is. Yeah. Essentially, it's learning to lead in highly uncertain environments. So climate change, fascism, you know. Trump um, administration. All of it. All of it. <laughs> nothing left out. That's the thing. Nothing left out. And, and how do I, especially as, as a middle-class white American woman, hold space for diverse communities and... Mm-hmm. And hold my hold my own and recognize who I am in that process. Um, it also really has to do, like we talked about a little bit, with the complexity theories and um, system th- systems theory. How do I not only learn to meditate and do these wonderful yogic practices, but recognize that with the rate of change that we're seeing, it's literally like the brain cannot keep up. What do we do about that? How do we lead people through stages of development where we're actually asking someone, I'll give you a a clean example. There's three stages of adult development. One is um, social development, meaning 
you're basically socialized, right? Like we send kids to school to be socialized emotionally or what have you. And then there's a self-authoring mind, which means you make decisions from within yourself, not what your culture dictates. And then there's something called a self-transforming mind. And that means I'm able to look at my own ideas as ideas, not the right idea. Mm, That's very important. It's very important. And so I think it's under 1% of the top CEOs that they did this thousand system or thousand um, corporation research on under 1% of those CEOs are operating at self-transforming mind. Wow. So I believe it though. So this is what we're actually dealing with is a lot of people at the stage of development of social or being socialized, then like 30 to 60% self-authoring mind, which is like a generous percentage and and everything else right like it's six to seven percent are on their way from self-authoring to to transformative mind right or self-transforming mind but we're asking people to do the work of the self-transforming mind but you can't make a jump like that overnight Um, The mind has to learn to hold complexities, meaning I have to be in groups of diverse populations. I need to be talking to people who have completely different life stories than me. I need to hear different narratives. I need to be challenged. And you need to deal with all types of abilities, too. Yeah, absolutely. It's not everybody can, you know, I say it all the time. Yeah. Not everybody has common sense because a lot of people went up to the line and said, it's too long. I can skip it. I'll Mm -hmm. go without common sense. Yeah. And there's a lot of that out there, like that people just don't take the time. Yeah, and just holding that, you know, so the, the degree is about how do I lead people knowing, knowing the facts that this is who I'm working with. I want to get people essentially to a place of more wholeness, less anxiety, you know, higher functioning so mm-hmm. that we can meet the problems of the world from a different place, not the same place that we've always been trying to solve them at, right? Um, so that's that's what it's all about, and that's what I'm in conversation about um, for half of my week, you know, when I'm not teaching yoga. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks for coming in here today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. I think there's a lot to glean here. Um, I also want to give a shout-out to Sound Reaper Graphics for additional support of the podcast, B.I. Hoops. And guys out there and ladies, please be kind to others and yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, tell everybody where we can learn more about you. Sure. Um, I do have a website, devotedyogi.com. And on there you can find what I'm up to, um, which is generally ongoing classes. So people, like I said earlier, can sign up for a long-term consistent practice with us. And yoga teacher trainings, the next really fun event that I have coming up is a retreat to Maui on April 18th to 23rd on an almost off-grid property, giving people a chance to really phone detox, to be on the land, to commune and practice and learn about the nervous system and all this sweet stuff we've been talking about. And do you have, I'm I'm not done with you, I guess. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Do you have other instructors in your studio as well? Right now I have collaborators. So yeah, I, because I'm really, really invested in a business that really supports other people. And quite frankly, yoga teachers don't make enough money to live. And I just, I had to figure out a way to like 
give somebody a real income by working with me at the studio. So right now I'm like one one person at a time. So Annie James is working with me. She's co-leading Maui Retreat. She teaches some Ashtanga series. She's taken my training. I trust her wholeheartedly with all of my students and her own students. Uh, so she's a big collaborator in my life right now. And you routinely have 100-hour uh, training courses for teachers? I do. And they're really 200-hour teacher trainings where people can get certified to become a teacher. And yet I've broken them into 100-hour modules so that if somebody wants like the more advanced part of the practice, deep breath work, inversions, learning how to teach, they can take that module. Our next one starts in May. Um, or just practitioners who want to go deeper. Um, and then if somebody's newer to yoga and they want the basics, they can take the first 100-hour module right? Mm. and learn about the shapes and the basic breathing and all of this. If I had it my way, everyone would do a training because then they would know how the practice is working for them. It's like whole history. You're, you're yeah. teaching the whole thing. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Well, I really, really appreciate your time. I hope more people will find Jenna McDonald at Devoted Yogi. You've been listening to The Bystander. Thank Be you kind. so much. Hey, my pleasure. Mm.